0: Amen. You may be seated. Take your Bibles. We're going to pass the offering buckets at the same time that you're either tapping on or turning to 1 John chapter 5. I'm going to continue and fi- finally finish this series that I've titled Confidence. So as the offering buckets are going, there they go. And so uh, be sure to uh, be faithful in your giving and your tithes and the offerings and use it as a worship. 1 John chapter 5, I've titled this last message in the fifth chapter of this great little letter, Confident in Regeneration. Confident in Regeneration. So we've looked at in chapter 1, Confident in Relationship. Chapter 2, we looked at Confident in Resisting. The third message in our series, chapter 3, was Confident in Righteousness. Can we just roll the R on that? Anybody can do that? Ready? Righteousness. Andy Andy's in Harvest Kids. He was awesome at that. And then we looked at chapter four, confident and recognizing. Now confident in regeneration. Let me define for you what regeneration is. Really, the definition is, means new birth, or the implanting of life to restore to life. Uh, we use this, or it's used in Psalm fifty-one, where David said, "Create in me a clean heart." Paul said in. 2 Corinthians 5.17, that we are a new creation. We're talking regeneration here, where new life is now implanted into us and we're brought back from death into his life. Luke uses it in Acts chapter three when he uses this word, restoring or restoration. Then Paul uses it again in 1 Timothy chapter two and verse four when he says that we are partakers of life. We're talking about regeneration. When does regeneration start? That is a theological question. It's a tough one to answer. I really believe that regeneration actually precedes salvation, that God was drawing you to himself, and he was doing all that was necessary inside of you prior to your repentance and your faith to bring you to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. That would be regeneration. It's called previent grace. How about a generator? We know what generator is. Some of you might have one for a storm. How about some of those killer storms, huh? I mean, I shouldn't use killer on the end of that, right? On the beginning of that. But so we're at Kohl's, and the wind's picking up, and I'm looking up at the sky, and it looks like there's a tornado going to come down and land right on top of my car. During storms, people would use a generator. I don't have one. Maybe you have one. A generator converts mechanical energy into electrical energy. It doesn't create electricity, but it generates Let me define what this means. It means to cause. So we're talking about the regeneration of God where he causes life to be inside of those who are dead in their sins. Conversion happens in our heart and life. That is regeneration. We would also use the term born again. We are born again from above. These are all terminologies that that deal with the new birth that's happening inside of us. So let's talk about regeneration. Regeneration. Let's know that we can be confident in being born again. How do you know that you're a Christian? How do you know that those that you know who have made decisions for Jesus are truly converted? John's dealing with that all throughout his first letter. Remember Matthew chapter 7, 21 to 23. Matthew chapter 7, 21 to 23. Can somebody take their Bible? If you're faster with a hard copy or you're faster with a tap, I want to see how fast somebody can get to Matthew chapter 7. Go there quickly. Matthew 7:21, and then I want you to raise your hand when you're there. Anybody, anybody, quickly, quickly. Deb's got it already. She wins. All right, that means you got to read it. Okay, can you read that nice and loud from 23 down to, or verse 21, rather, to 23? Yeah. Yeah, those are tough verses. Thank you, Deb. Those are verses that I think are really going to come to fruition. They're going to come a reality of some people that have been in the Christian church for a long time and thought they were truly regenerated, but they weren't. And so John is giving us some theology of salvation, soteriology, which is super important for us to know. It's important for us to really understand that Jesus is the Lord, that Jesus is the one that we believe, that we follow, that we try to behave like. And so when Matthew wrote those verses, he's writing them knowing that there'll be a day when Christians, or professing Christians, will stand before God, and God's going to say, I never really knew you. Isn't that terrifying to think? Can you know for sure that you're a Christian? Absolutely. Can you have the assurance? It's called the doctrine of assurance. Yes, you can. And we're looking at that in 1 John all the way through. How do you have confidence that Jesus is, in fact, your Savior and Lord? How can you have confidence that the Christian faith is, in fact, genuine? it's real. This is a great little letter. It's a very important letter written from the city of Ephesus, and John is the writer. We know that by internal evidence. It's not listed that John is the writer of it, but we can really get that uh, conclusion after we look at some internal evidence and compare it to other books. Obviously, the Gospel of John, we see that, that the Apostle John, while ministering and serving in the city of Ephesus, who he loves his people, He is going to say some very direct things, and we've seen direct things. And listen, the church of Jesus needs to be able to receive direct words. Do you agree with that? Not too many of you agree with that. Okay, that's very alarming, very alarming. A preacher and a pastor needs to give admonition, not just exhortation, but admonition. And so John the Apostle is an admonisher, and he's moving into that pastoral role, and he's giving out some tough truths, and he wants the people to receive them, just like any pastor does because it's all done in the spirit of love. So what is this confidence in regeneration? We're gonna look at three ways you can be confident. Number one, triumph. Number one is triumph. It's in verses one to five. Are you there in 1 John 5? Let me look at verses one to five with you. Confidence in regeneration. We'll have that when we receive this realization, this revelation of the doctrine of regeneration. But we need to see this in the text. Let me ask you some questions. Doesn't winning always feel better than losing? Anybody agree with that? Uh, I don't think anybody really wants to set out in their life to be a loser. And so anytime you are on a sports team or you're doing anything at work, you want to win. I remember many years ago, I was on a softball team and we only won one game out of 16. That means we lost how many? Man, it took me just weeks to get over each loss. In fact, I had to go into therapy. You can ask my wife, it was just so difficult. To lose that often. 1961 Phillies had one of the worst losing streaks in history. They lost 23 games in a row. Can you imagine that? Nobody likes to lose. We're talking about triumph, and John the Apostle's talking about winning that we are triumph in Christ, in the gospel. We have overcome the world. So appropriate what Scott was talking about. Did not know what I was going to say in this moment of time, but it's still connected that we are triumphant in the gospel. We're triumphant in Jesus Christ. This is where John is gonna move as he lands the plane in chapter five of his letter. He's talking about victory. Look at verse four. If you would just jump down there and you'll see this little phrase, this is the victory. Do you see it there with your own eyes, amen? Are you there with me? This is the victory. What is the greatest victory that you have ever experienced? I know some people who have defeated cancer. That would be a great victory, wouldn't it? How about overcoming a debt? You were in debt and you overcame and you beat the debt monster. That would be an amazing victory. Here's triumph in the text. I wanna show it to you. Look at verse one, let's go back there because John is gonna begin by making a statement about salvation. Remember, we're talking about regeneration or salvation, being confident in the life that God has imparted to you and that he's producing in you. Verse one, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. There's the word, it's regeneration. You're born of God if you believe that Jesus is the Christ. That doesn't mean that you believe that Jesus is the Christ just in your brain, and it's some kind of intellectual ascent, but that Jesus truly is your Messiah. He came from heaven to earth, and when he came and he put his feet on the earth, he did ministry and did miracles. He went to the cross, he rose from the dead. That has become very personal to you. That's what that means. Because people are gonna stand before Christ one day and they're gonna hear, I never knew you. But yet they made this mental ascent to Jesus at one point in their life. That's not enough, John is gonna say. What is more important than that, that belief, when he says that whoever believes, this is a belief with conviction, with passion, with emotion. It's an experiential kind of faith. Let's keep going through the text. Everyone who loves the Father follow through this Everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. Have you ever met a Christian at work? Uh, You found out that they're a believer? Wasn't there instantaneous excitement about that? Anybody? You're like, wow, that's awesome. You're a Christian too? And then there's this, this love that's there. You don't know them very well, but there's this love. What's that? That's the Holy Spirit has produced the love of God, Christ, being shed abroad in your heart for another believer And that's what John's saying. If you believe that Jesus is the Christ, you start there, but then you also, if you have love for the Father, you love all of those who have been born of him. So true salvation and regeneration looks like this, John is saying. You believe, you believe with conviction, and also you behave a certain way. He's gonna keep the outline super simple, and he's done that since chapter one. It's a very simple outline. You believe and you behave. Now look at verse two. Verse two, he says, by this we know. Now here's the confidence. This is what we're talking about in this series. We've titled it that for a reason. By this we know where we can have the assurance. And he repeats this phrase over and over again. And he says, By this we know that we love God and we're obeying his commandments. Look at verse 3, 5-3. John says this: For this is the love of God that we keep or are keeping his commandments in a present imperative mode. This is where he's going, that we're keeping his commandments, and his commandments are not a burden. In other words, for Jesus to say to you that I want you to obey me, you're not like, yeah, I don't really feel like doing that. I don't know if I really want to do that. It's not a burden to obey the Lord. Not for the Christian. It's like, God, yeah, I'll, I'll do what you say. You know, you're going to struggle with the flesh like I do, and you're going to trip and fall like I do. But then you got this thing inside of you. you got this supernatural Holy Spirit move of, of God, in it, and, and the Spirit's moving inside you. You're like, well, no, Lord, it's not a burden. I really do want to follow you, but I'm struggling here. Please help me. I love this. John is wanting his, his readers to receive the revelation of the Lord about their salvation and about what God has done to plant new life inside of their heart. Now, let's go to verse 4 and 5 because there's an interesting word here that I want you to see. Look at verse 4, chapter 5, verse 4. For everyone who has been born of God, regeneration, overcomes the world. We sang that song, overcome We have overcome the world, and this is the victory. Here's the triumph that has overcome the world. What is it? What's it say? It's our faith. It's not just Christian faith, content, or doctrine, but it is the faith. It's the experiential move of the Spirit of God inside of a person to draw them to himself, open their eyes, turn their heart, open their ears to Jesus and the gospel. That is the faith. It's a faith that rocks somebody's world. And Jesus says that we have overcome, notice the word, overcome the world. Three times, just in verses four and five, in two verses, three times, John uses this word overcome. Now, remember, what is that movie that we had talked about? My Big Fat Greek Wedding. All right, so we're going to change that. We're going to go back into My Big Fat Greek Word Study. Are you ready? So let's do that again, because the Greek word for overcome is nikao, N-I-C-A-O, nikao, the noun form is nike, you might be familiar with Nike. And so that's the Greek word, remember, John's writing in Ephesus, which is a Greek culture, and so he's writing in a Greek culture, they would understand Nike, and so he uses that word to describe overcome or overcomer, it means victor or winner, we are triumphant in the gospel. And John is saying we are triumphant in Jesus Christ and all that God did in and through his life on earth with the resurrection and sending the Holy Spirit. We are, we are nika'o. We are overcomers. We're winners. We are triumphant. If you want regeneration confidence, you got to understand that you're a winner and not a loser. And this isn't so Joe Oldstein kind of thing, but you know what? He's on to something when he talks about being a winner, and I know that he's connecting that to some biblical truth, so I'm not criticizing him, but we need to have that word planted in our mind that we are winners. So this isn't a motivational message. I hope it's motivational, but it's not a motivational message. I hope it's a theological approach to what we're looking at here. Nike, or Nike, was a goddess of victory, and they really believed in that culture that, Only the gods had ultimate invincibility. In other words, they were the only ones truly that were overcomers. They they were super conquerors. This is what the goddess of victory, Nike, really was representing in that Greek culture. And so we believe, and John is going to say that, no, 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 it's not just the Greeks and their gods who are overcomers, it's Christians who are overcomers. And he's laying this thing before the people so that they would truly grab onto that they are, in fact, invincible, not in themselves, but in the gospel. Listen, Nike does a lot to try to promote that when you put their shoes on, you're gonna be invincible. Does anybody have any Nikes on? I'm just curious in the house. Anybody got any Nikes? We got Nike over here. We got another pair over here. We got some in the back. Are you guys invincible? You know, but that's what they want. They want you to believe that, and so this is their marketing plan, and so you're going to put these shoes on, and then you're going to do super conquering things. And so you go out and you you spend some money on shoes. And so I did a little research, and I wanted to pull up a pair of shoes. You'll see them on the screen. Can we pull those up? Can anybody guess how much these Nike Air Jordans are? Just throw out some numbers. Yeah, these are made out of gold. They, they are $2 million sneakers. <laughs> that was Nike. Are they really believing that if I put these shoes on, I'm going to be a super conqueror? You know, I mean, come on. That's, that's a, that's, it's what, five houses maybe uh, that we could, we could purchase with a pair of sneakers. We're not going to be able to live inside of a shoe, you know. It's amazing what, what people believe can happen. Listen, we can't be a super conqueror. We can't have triumph. Only in Jesus Christ can we do that. I didn't know if you knew this, but the top 25 most expensive sneakers are Nikes. And they go from $2 million down to about $150,000, $100,000, $50,000. And I'm just thinking, you know what? I'm just gonna go over to the outlets and get myself a pair of $25 vans. I'm just doing that. That'll work for me. But this is an important truth here. He's talking about overcoming the world by our faith. That's verse four. Overcoming the world, the world system, all the things that the world represents. Of course, it's, it's led by Satan. It's an evil system of greed and lust and rebellion and pride. And, and that's what John is saying, that we have overcome. And listen, it's irreversible. You're gonna hear me say this over and over again, that our salvation, our regeneration cannot be reversed. In other words, if it's in you, it's been put there by God. That faith that you have in Jesus Christ is supernatural faith. That wasn't faith that you conjured up. It wasn't because you're a good old boy and you said, you know what, I think that this gospel, this Christianity seems pretty, pretty reasonable. I'm going to put my faith in that. And then uh, you think that that faith is what is causing you to be regenerated. God put that faith in you. God selected you. God chose you from before the foundation of the world, even before you were born, Ephesians 1 talks about. So that regeneration is an act of the Lord. He moved towards you, and as he's moving towards you, he's working in your mind, he's working in your heart, and he's even working in your will so that you want to come and follow Jesus Christ. You're not forced against your will. Somehow he does that with his wisdom and his sovereignty. But listen, it's irreversible. Some would call that security of the saints or the preservation of the saints. God preserves you all the way to heaven. You can't lose your salvation. Once you really have it, you have it forever. Isn't that good news? That, that is good news. So what about the person that made a decision and then they went AWOL and they're an agnostic now or maybe even an atheist and they reject? Were they truly saved to begin with? Not according to John. This is an important book because there are a lot of Christians who think just because you walked an aisle at a crusade or in a church service or maybe you made a decision when you were a little kid that you got locked in forever, that it was a real, real decision. It might have been a real decision, but when you got older, you fell away from the Lord, you didn't care about Jesus, you didn't repent of your sins. In fact, you didn't feel bad about your sins. You just went on your merry old way. That would be uh, salvation that is suspect by the Apostle John. It's not... It is invincible. It is not irreversible. It's not irreversible. Let me see if I give you an illustration. I'm, a, I'm not a huge football fan. <clears throat> I mean, I'm a sports fan, but I'm not like following the football <clears throat> too much. But I do know some things about football, and uh, this would represent, what do you think this would represent? Anybody that would be a football fan? So sometimes they would, they would throw uh, a penalty flag up in the air. Right? And so this is going to represent a penalty flag, and so sometimes when the team would go into the, tu- into the end zone and score a touchdown, then all of a sudden you would see one of these on the ground because one of the referees threw it up. What happens to the touchdown? It's reversed, right? It doesn't, it doesn't work. So they go in, they're all excited, the crowd cheers, they throw the flag, and then you have to come back to the line of scrimmage and start that thing over again. Listen, that is not how God operates with salvation and regeneration. It's irreversible. In other words, when you go into the end zone with Jesus, into the gospel, into conversion, into repentance, into faith, and and you think, well, you know what, I sinned, you know, I messed up, There's there's a flag on the play, does that mean that my salvation, my regeneration is now reversible? It's not. You're always triumphant in Christ. That means when you've sinned this past week, which we all have, that salvation is still as secure as when it first happened to you. You are triumphant, John says. You are always triumphant. That is a good confidence builder for your salvation. And so whenever you go through what would be called the dark night of the soul or the difficult seasons of life, I want you to hold on to what the Apostle John is saying because his readers are in the midst of very chaotic things happening in Ephesus. And he wants them to be sure of their salvation. He wants them to be confident, and you're confident in your regeneration when you realize that you're triumphant in Christ alone, in Christ alone. Do not try to triumph apart from Jesus. In other words, if you're trying to overcome and you're trying to get past something like an addiction that you might be struggling with, whatever stronghold has been erected inside of your soul from the time you were young in the faith until now, do not try to overcome that and be triumphant apart from the grace of the Lord and the power of the Holy Spirit because you're not gonna find success. It's not gonna happen. Confident, number one. Number two, let's look at the testimony. The testimony, it's in verses six down to verse 12. If you look at verse six, you'll see the word testifies. This is a powerful truth from John. So follow me through this. In verse 7, he uses the word testify. In verse 9, you'll see it again: the testimony. Keep your eyes there on the text, on your phone or in your hard copy. The testimony of God is also there in verse 9. In verse 10, you'll see the testimony once again. And then verse 11, this is the testimony. What is John talking about here? He's talking about confidence comes from God. God is declaring, the Father's declaring a testimony about his Son, who his Son is, and what his Son has done. This doesn't matter what other people are saying. This matters what God the Father is saying most about his Son. And so confidence comes when we realize that the Father has testified about the Son, God the Father is saying things about Jesus Christ, his son, that we need to listen to, we need to follow. The Holy Spirit is the one who who brings this awareness to us about Jesus Christ and what he did. Notice verse 6. The Spirit is the one who testifies. Are you seeing that with your own eyes? Please look at it. It's important that you see this. Is everybody with me on that? Can you please give me an amen so I know? Yeah, the spirit is the one who testifies. In other words, the spirit inside of you through regeneration is now testifying that the father has said things about the son and you're believing what the father has said about his own son. This builds confidence. Not just triumph, but a testimony. The testimony towards what? You'll see it's water and blood. Do you see that listed there? Water and blood. Do you remember when Jesus was baptized, what happened? The heavens parted and what? Descended, do you remember It was like a dove, and the dove came down, landed on Jesus, and then there was a voice from heaven, this is my beloved son, in whom I am, what, well pleased. And there is a testimony about Jesus Christ at the very front end of his ministry. And then, you know, at the end of his ministry, there was blood, and blood happened where? At the cross. And so there's a testimony that's very powerful here that the apostle is wanting his readers to understand, and I want you to understand, too, that Not only are you triumphant, but there's this testimony that you need to believe. The Father is on the stand, you're in the jury box, and you're watching this thing unfold. The question would be, if you're part of the jury, what are you believing that the Father is saying? He's on the stand, he's testifying about the Son of God, and what are you going to believe that the Father is saying about his Son? Are you able to say, as John wants us to say, that he is the Son of God. He is Jesus. He is the Lord. Look at verse 12. If you can hold on to this and believe it, if you can receive it, and you can have conviction in your heart that is not just in your head but is, is down in here, it's in your will, it's down in here, your affections, you have the Son. You, you have the Son. He's more to you than just a flannel graph lesson. He's more to you than fire insurance. He's the Lord of your life. Do you know that you are a doulos? You're a slave of God. And so when I go to the Lord, sometimes I say, I'm your doulos, I'm your slave. Jesus, you're Adonai, you're my Lord. And I will gladly submit to you because you own me. That's a do-loss. We're all slaves of God if you truly know him. And he's a wonderful Lord, and he's a wonderful master. He'll never abuse you. He'll never go wrong with you. He knows what he's doing with me as his slave and and with you as his slave, a doulos. So let me ask you, do you believe God and what he's saying about Jesus Christ, his son? Notice verse 10. Whoever does not believe God has made him a what? A liar. A liar. A liar. God doesn't lie. There's a lot of people in our world, in Reading in Berks County, that are saying, God, you're a liar. And so the reason why I'm so strong on some of the false isms around Reading and Berks County is because they are, they are saying that our father is a liar because they don't believe Jesus Christ was God in human form. When you look into the cults and the isms and the organizations around Reading, that are flatly denying the doctrine of Jesus, his Christology, then then we need to be very firm against that, loving towards the people. And you might know some people involved in those groups. You love them, but you do not hold to their Christology. Because what they're doing, if they're not believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, that he is God in human form, that they're making God the Father a liar. Think about that. Here's number three. So we got triumph, number one, we got testimony, number two, and number three is truth. It's in verses 13 down to verse 21. Verse 20, I just want to skip down there real quickly. If you'll notice verse 20, we know him, John says, who is true, and we are in him who is true, and he is the true God, John continues to go. Jesus said of himself that he was the truth. Do you remember that? What is he saying there? I am the truth. He's saying that I am God, and when you're looking at me, you're looking at the Father. Of course, that freaked out the Pharisees and Sadducees, and they ended up wanting him dead. Why was Jesus crucified? He was crucified for blasphemy. He was crucified because he was claiming to be God. That's why he was crucified, by the religious establishment. This is an important little letter. When we say that Jesus is God, we are definitely distinguishing him apart from a lot of the other religions, cults, and isms. Look at verse 13, that you may know that you have eternal life. There is that verse that you have probably read a thousand times whenever you're struggling with some doubt, that you may know that you have eternal life. God wants us to know through John that we can be confident in our regeneration. This isn't meant to cause doubt. This is meant to bring you confidence and assurance. Notice verse 14, he talks about answering prayer. Uh, verse 14, if you'll look at there, I'm going to read it out loud, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us, and if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. How many people have ever prayed before, and the answers didn't come the way that you wanted them to, right? Isn't that common? I mean, good night, I was praying a a dozen years ago for things that, that even to this day, I don't think they've come to pass, or I don't know if they'll come to pass in this lifetime. And some people have said to me in a very loving and gracious way, well, maybe in heaven you're going to know what happened, and in heaven you're going to have the answers that you're looking for. Well, sometimes I just want to know the answers now. (laughs) I don't want to wait till heaven. Anybody with me on that? Come on. You know, so it's like, well, I mean, when we pray, God is saying through John in this letter that that we do have the assurance that he's going to answer those prayers. So what about that person? And I've been tempted to go AWOL. Uh, I'll be honest with you through the years, especially during the temptation of trial the refiner's fire, or the dark night of the soul, or the deep waters, and you've heard me use a lot of different phrases here at Harvest Reading. I've been tempted to go AWOL, but you know what, I can't go AWOL. Uh, not truly, because I have genuine salvation, and you can't go AWOL ultimately, because you have genuine salvation. But man, you're going to feel like it sometimes, uh, especially when you're going through a dark season. And so I've had that, and I've prayed prayers, and they, they seemingly haven't come to pass but I do know people that have prayed prayers and didn't come to pass the way that they thought it should come to pass, and you know what happened to them? They're total rejectors of the faith now. What happened there? Did they lose their salvation? No, they just never had it. They just never had it, John's saying. You're gonna be tempted, I understand the temptation. But here he says that you're going to have these prayers. You're going to know that God answers prayer. Somewhere in my heart and somewhere in your heart, you know this, and you can resonate with me on this, that you know what? I say to the Lord, I say, Lord, okay, so in heaven one day, this is how I think, this is what I'm saying in my private time, God. God, I know that the pain was excruciating. I know that the loss was incredible. I know that the sin against us was unimaginable. Uh, I didn't think I was going to recover from that, Lord. I'm back on my feet, but I'm only back on my feet because of the grace of the Lord. I did pray a lot of prayers uh, during that time, Lord, and I see most of them unanswered right now. But I am holding on to the fact that I do believe that you're faithful and that you're good, that you have never forsaken me and my wife, that you only want what is best for us. And so I release that back to the Lord. And the reason why you and I can release that back to the Lord is because the Spirit of God truly dwells within you. And it's supernatural. It's not something that I can hype myself up. I don't hype myself up. I don't go to the self-help over at Barnes & Noble, and I get all these books on, on how to have the self-motivational techniques, and I don't do that. It's this Holy Spirit just takes me to this place and takes you to this place where you're like, you know what, God, this was painful and hurtful, and I prayed, and nothing seems to happen, but you know what, I'm leaving that with you. Are you with me on that? That shows that there's something really important happening to you, something Holy Spirit generated in you. That's, that's regeneration has really come to your, your life. And you get confidence as a result of that. Here's where he goes with this. Verse 18, uh, this person does not keep on sinning. Remember John cycles back? He's a recycler. He cycles back over and over again with various truths, and he builds upon these truths. And you're going to think, wow, he's saying this all over again. Why, John? Because it's important for us to understand that this person, who has gone through all of what we've looked at in four chapters, now into the fifth chapter, does not habitually keep on sinning. That doesn't mean that you're going you're to commit a sin today, after we get out of church, you might yell at your spouse or your kiddo or whatever. Uh, it doesn't mean you're not going to sin next week. Uh, but all along the way, you're, you're like, God, I don't, I don't want to be this man. I don't want to be this woman. I, I do want to live holy and godly. And then you trip again, and, <laughs> and then you get back up again. And that's all part of sanctification in your regeneration. That's all natural. That's, that's, that's not abnormal for you and for me. What John is talking about here is that this person doesn't habitually keep on sinning without remorse. In other words, they just keep doing it, and you, you go to them, and you're saying, man, what are you doing? You're wrecking your life. You know, you're, you're sinning against God. Ah, you know, that kind of, I don't know. Ah. You know, they're resisting that. They're pushing back on that. They're not having the, the Holy Spirit guilt that is necessary inside to really show that you have the Holy Spirit inside. And so that person really is the one who John is talking about here. They don't keep on sinning without remorse, without repentance, without feeling the grief of their sin. And then verse 19, he says, but to them, here's the, the true group in the recipients of this letter, we are from God. Verse 19, we are from God, and he ends it with keep yourselves from idols. When's the last time you ever bowed to a Buddha? You ever seen those Buddhas? Oh, you see them, you can, you can buy them. You go to TJ Maxx Home Goods, you see a Buddha. Hey, there's a Buddha right on the shelf, right there. And you can buy a Buddha. I went over to some uh, Christian profession, professing Christian's house, This is when we first started, and they don't come to this church anymore. Uh, But I walked up to their front doorstep, and they had a Buddha. I was like, "There he is just greeting me at the door. I was like, hey. (laughs) And then they felt really guilty about that, and they started to justify it. Well, that's just a planter. I put plants in there. Is that idolatry? Well, for sure, but that's really not, not where John's going with this. I mean, it's obvious you don't want to bow to a Buddha, So when he says keep yourselves from idols, what is the greatest idol that you have? Or should I say, who is the greatest idol that you have? Yourself. This is what John's saying, because the enemy is going to want us to keep ourselves, rise up higher, independent, self-sufficient, don't need Jesus, don't need the Holy Spirit, don't need church, don't need any of that. And then when you start to rise up like that, then you're going to become the idol that John is talking about. Certainly there are idols like the Nike goddess in Ephesus, and I don't think he was really meaning that. I mean, that's an obvious one. Don't bow to the goddess Nike, the goddess of victory. He's really going deeper than that. He's saying, listen, all of us have this propensity to idol worship, and I am the greatest idol. God, help me not to be, put myself so high that I'm worshiping myself and I'm not bowing before you. So here's confidence, man. We worked our way through five weeks. Every week we looked at a different teaching on confidence. This is a great letter. I hope that you'll get back into it. We didn't look at all the details of the letter. We had to move through this rather rapidly, but number one in chapter one was relationship. Confident in relationship with the manifest presence of the Lord and maintaining the practice of your Christian profession. That was in week one. Week two is resisting sinful detours, spiritual darkness, secular distractions, and satanic deceptions. So you're confident in relationship. You're confident when you're resisting these things. You're confident, week three, in righteousness, which is righteous living, the righteousness of Jesus imputed into my heart and into your heart. We're positionally righteous. Now we live as righteous as we can. And then also we receive the righteousness of Christ that manifests in a loving attitude towards people. And then we looked at in chapter four, week four, recognizing false leaders. You're able to test the spirits. Oh, it's important to have discernment as a Christian. so important. There's spirits everywhere that we want to try to discern. I really believe that there's spirits that are constantly attacking the church of Jesus and attacking people and leaders. And so we looked at that, recognizing false leaders. And then number two, understanding and receiving the faithful love of God. That was in week four and then today. Confident in regeneration. You understand the triumph that you have in Christ and the gospel. You have a testimony that you hold on to, which is the testimony of the father toward his son, and you know the son to be true. That's confidence building. So the question would be, as we close, could you stand to your feet as we worship with one more song? The question would be, are you a confident Christian? Are you truly confident? Are you walking in the confidence are you able to say to the Lord, Lord, I see the text, I understand what we've looked at. If you haven't gotten a chance to look at some or listen to some of the messages, then I encourage you to go online and listen to them. But are you a confident Christian? Certainly, if we can go through the list and look at all of that and go, yeah, 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 yeah. This is one I really need some tweaking on. If you go through that honestly and objectively, and I did it last night, I said, oh, I went through the whole the whole month, a little over a month, I went one by one, and I'm like, okay. And it was really helping me. It was really giving me this kind of the this, this steps that I need to understand, am I really a confident Christian? And it was super helpful. So take this, what we've looked at. Walk in the confidence and the assurance that the Apostle John was saying. If you know people that fall on the other side of that, and they're struggling and they're going AWOL, they're apostatizing, they're becoming heretical, whatever's going on in their world, then your approach to them would certainly be to pray for them uh, and give them the gospel but don't assume that they're a believer. And don't try to talk them into the fact that you think that they're a believer. They need to wrestle that out. They need to work out their own salvation with fear and trembling if they really have it. But I know that there's some people going AWOL even from Harvest Reading. And it's it's very tragic and it's sad to see as a leader and a pastor. Because I'm watching their life spiral out of control. And I've seen this over and over again in 30 years. So it's hard, it's hard. Father, we pray that we would take this last song, which appropriately is called Confident. And we want to close this series, Lord, coming to you just in desperate need of the confidence that his Holy Spirit inspired that your word gives us. We thank you for John. What a great man of God he was. He just lasted till the end. He was so faithful to you on the island of Patmos where he died, living faithful to the to the Jesus that he loved so much and you used him so incredibly to write the Gospel of John, these three letters and book of Revelation can we just be a little bit like the Apostle John can we, can we have that same love I can see why you, Jesus called him the son of thunder man if we could be a little bit like that that would be so awesome Holy Spirit, you wrote this text through this great man and we pray that you Holy Spirit would just continually bring it to remembrance all of the things that we looked at in the last five weeks. Lord, we worship you with this song. How about we do this through the song not only for your own sake but for some of you know that is, they went out from us John said but they were not really of us because if they would have been of us, they would have remained with us. So if somebody comes to your mind, a relative, a friend, co-worker, spouse, whatever, whoever it is, pray for them during this song. Come before God and petition God's mercy and God's grace on their life. Let's sing and let's pray.